five, four, three, two, one. This, there's the clap. Hello. Hi. It's, Nick, why are we here? It's very special and different. It's, it's a Monday, not a Thursday or a Friday. It's unusual, but you wanted to discuss certain pertinent issues that were particularly timely. You wanted to. Don't blame it on me. I've no interest in doing this. You're such a liar. Hmm. Anyway. Um, Yeah, well, just a couple of things happened this weekend. It's kind of interesting. I want to discuss it while the uh, giant iron Olympic ring is hot. Good. Let's begin then. So you went to the Olympic opening ceremony? I did. Would you like me to discuss it? Yes, I would. Okay. Well, I mean, obviously the main intent of the Olympic opening ceremony was to put forward a thesis of Britishness. Now, as we've discussed before, it's very difficult to define whether that's a meaningful term or whether it's just a word used to describe some squabbling nations that were forced together and are rapidly flinging themselves apart again. So it was always interesting to see what they would do with the notion of Britain as opposed to the notions of England, Wales, Scotland, and Ireland, Northern Ireland, which, of course, are what we are more used to talking about these days. Our our local nationalisms seem to have taken centre stage and the notion of Britishness seems to have fallen aside which for me, as a non-native-born foreigner, is a bit sad because whilst I can certainly be British, I can never really be English, certainly not Scottish or Welsh. I need to click my neck on the microphone, I'm afraid. Hang on. Okay. Oh, Scott, you won't even do it. There we go. Now, the first thing we need to address is people have been complaining that for some reason, the opening ceremony wasn't, quote, realistic, unquote, in its portrayal <laughs> of, of modern Britain. And, of course, we're going to be coming onto that at large with your little contretemps this weekend. Mm-hmm. But we, f- we need to um, discuss that ludicrous accusation because every opening ceremony ever of any Olympic Games doesn't portray anything like a realistic snapshot of the nation, but rather... It discusses stories nations like to tell themselves about what represents their present and their past and their hoped-for future. And indeed, the myths that a country likes to build up about itself. Now, Greece, of course, when it had its Olympics, um, had an opening ceremony that dealt overwhelmingly with, um, you know, ancient mythology that, tried to represent Greece as a continuation of a very ancient-rooted, stable society. Um, And, of course, we know reality proved radically different. China wanted to show that it was overwhelmingly conformist, confident. Its uh, population was lockstep in line with the party's thrusting aspirations. You remember that those Mm. frightening images of the thousands of people drumming in unison? Um, Yes. Of course, even with China, the reality is different. It's a much more complicated and fractured society than the party would want it to be, which is why it portrayed itself like that. And, of course, going back to the most infamous of Olympic opening ceremonies, of course, was 
the Nazis' opening ceremonies in the Berlin Olympics, where Hitler wanted to use the Olympics to portray uh, Germany as Aryan, powerful, and supreme, and and again overwhelmingly um, potent. And of course, did it mean that Germany was necessarily like that? Not so. Of course, to get like that, it, he had to kill lots of people, <laughs> and in the end, he was proven incorrect. But nevertheless. That was a myth, literally a myth, that he and, with the help of people like Lenny Riefenstahl, wanted to portray about themselves. So when we think about Britain, we're thinking about a very heterogeneous, complex society um, bound by what it hopes is strong civil and cultural institutions and, tradic and, and traditions. Um, and in a sense, of course, Britain is, is a contradiction. I think this is usefully what came out of the opening ceremony because on the one hand it's conservative parochial backward looking you know green field and full of maypoles and sheep on the other hand it can be radical and progressive and industrial and thrusting and argumentative uh, and it can be represented as one kind of monolithic culture on the other hand it's always been multicultural you know Let's even think about the term that's used to describe the monoculture, which is Anglo-Saxon. Well, yes. there are two cultures that clashed very significantly with one another. Um, so it's funny, the, the very word that people like Romney used to encodify the monoculture they want itself was the product of a clashing multiculturalism. Um, and that's not to mention the Normans who then came in and thrust themselves about. So, of course, it's always been, right from the start, um, a clash of different cultures attempting somehow to rub together and produce something um, unique out of that clash. Um, you know, as I said, one moment we're pastoral, then we're thrusting and industrious. One moment we're punk, then we have the, uh, the, the queen, the monarch, playing a part of that kind of wryness. Um, one minute we're very serious and formal, which, of course, the Queen represents and the armed forces and the general pageantry. But uh, whilst we're being formal, we're also being completely and utterly and always ironic, even bringing the monarch herself into this uh, ironic procession. Um, you know, we, we have peasants doffing their caps at the monarch in one minute, and then you've got the Jarrah protests and the suffragettes at the next minute. So what we have here is we have a representation of Britain that's forged out of constant theses which are immediately um, overturned by their ant antitheses uh, and then generally jumbled together in a whole big bowl of irony trying to hold the thing together. So the whole thing becomes quite self-referential in a way. And, so we, uh, and we saw in the opening ceremony out of the whole chaos of this literal multiculturalism and out of the different progressive drives of history was forged the Olympic rings. I mean, they were literally forged out of that. In other words, every, all the chaos that had preceded the forging of these rings was required to forge these rings. And in other words, without all the contradictions, the complexity, the mess, the satanic mills, there would have been no London in the way we understand London. And without London in the way we understood London, there would have been no Olympics in London, and therefore there would have been no Olympic opening ceremony in which it was shown happening. So it was, uh, there was quite an interesting little bit of recursion there. Um, and of course it was brought up to date with Tim Berners-Lee, 
And, of course, without Tim Berners-Lee, the Olympic opening ceremony yes. wouldn't have been attended by those who attended it and, of course, wouldn't have been able to represent that which it represented because, uh, and in quite a kind of quotidian way, um, my brother went in Berners-Lee, uh, appeared, sort of apparently he shouted out saying, we love you, Tim, because without him, we wouldn't have been able to get the tickets to the opening ceremony because they were gotten through a big network of uh, Twitterers and tweeters and screen scrapers and websites and things like that. So when, literally... when Tim Berners-Lee appeared, I think it was the only moment I I wasn't ironically enjoying the, the procession. Yes, of course. Like, yes, Tim Berners-Lee! And it was very good that, that, that he was there. Um, now... There were various myths dealt with in the evening, and I think I think I would argue that they are benign myths. And the point about it is not whether these myths are true, but what is interesting is what we want to be true, what we want to represent. Now, Hitler wanted to represent something that we would consider quite nasty um, uh, as part of his mythos representation. So I quite like that we want to represent a BBC that is honest and true and even with the Archer's theme tune somehow tries to represent uh, a part of Britain that was funnily enough represented as destroyed right at the beginning of the, um, uh, of the ceremony. Um, the armed forces, we want to believe the best of them. We want to think that they're disciplined, noble and are representative of the whole nation. Of course, in reality, they very often aren't like that. But what's nice is we want to believe in them as that. We don't want to believe in them as bloodthirsty and as uh, capricious. Um, And then, of course, the infamous uh, myth of the evening was the NHS. And we want to believe in an NHS that is caring and benign, and represents the whole nation doing a venture unto itself that is totally um, civilised and completely uh, altruistic. But of course, as certain articles point out, the NHS makes terrible mistakes and is full of very unpleasant people, just like, frankly, any other health system in the world. Um, and, but that's not what we were representing because we were representing the myth, and we're allowed to represent myths in Olympic Games opening ceremonies because that's what they've always done. Indeed, literally since they were first opened thousands of years ago by the ancient Greeks who used the opening ceremonies to discuss the literal myths of their society. So it misses the point if people say, oh yes, but I had a nasty nurse speaking to me, and therefore I don't think the NHS should be represented, um, because where we want to represent an ideal, we want to represent something for which we strive, not we don't want to represent something for which we don't strive. That would be an odd thing to represent in an opening ceremony about uh, an event, a set of events about all about striving for the very best, not just accepting the very mediocrest or worst. So in the end, it was a kind of union of these grand myths, of these clashing cultures of music and of artistic intent and athletic potency. And London at its best, I think, was a metonym for what Britain should be at its best. A complex set of civilizations and culture in fluid and very exciting superposition, but underpinned by certain solid, uncompromising institutions and, importantly, 
cultural emulsifiers, you know, what binds all these things together? Because as you well know, and we've discussed before, multiculturalism has two meanings. On the one hand, it can mean many cultures who are allowed to live next to one another, occasionally bumping into one another, but otherwise having very little to do with one another and very often clashing with one another. And frankly, of allowing certain cultures to do certain things in your society that you don't want them to do, merely in the name of multiculturalism. So, for example, female genital mutilation is one extreme of multiculturalism, of course. Um, but that's not what I mean when I discuss multiculturalism. Uh, when I discuss multiculturalism, I say allowing people to express their histories and their paths to a greater metaculture which civilizes and polishes off the rough edges and provides a method for all these separate cultures for living in some greater harmony than they would otherwise do. So that's what I mean by multiculturalism. It's not what everybody means. Um, and in that sense, I'm very happy to believe in it. You're um, listening to the 2012 Wreath Lectures. I'm Sue Lawley. Yes, now I'm going to turn this over to questions from the audience. Well, there's, there's one last thing I want to say, and then because basically I think this 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 episode is basically going to be both of us talking about our very different experiences that we've had over the last few days, and mm -hmm. it will be pretty much a monologue from you as well. But finally, as our friend Robert Morgan said, and this is about you know the NHS controversy in particular, he says he said even if you think the NHS an inefficient, outdated anachronism to be demolished, only a prick would think that it shouldn't have been celebrated. Uh, and if you wish it gone, you do so reluctantly, pragmatically. Only a prick does so triumphantly and politically. And I think I agree with him there, and that's why I've been disappointed to see so many people oddly triumphant about how wretched the, uh, an institution it is and how wretched an ideal it was. So there we are. Those are my opinions. Well, it's it's interesting that on the last episode, you you send yourself, do you think they'll include the NHS? And then you you suggested they probably wouldn't because it would be too political a statement for the Cameron government to allow. Yes. So it's quite surprising just how much it went the other way. And, and I saw Louise Mensch tweeting that it was as evidence of how much Cameron loves the NHS. <laughs> But in a sense, I like that because it does force conservative MPs to have to buy into that myth. It, 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 it's a kind of, it reinforces the myths. People have called it uh, a kind of religion, and I don't have a problem with that because I prefer that we make an obsessive and unrealistic religion out of universal health care than, say, out of having lots of guns. Yes, you know, you know. Because I not prefer all, not all that, MPs, of course, you are forgetting Aidan Burley. Yeah, I prefer the religion of the NHS to the religion of the Second Amendment. Both are simplistic, but I prefer <laughs> the simplistic hope of having a health service than the simplistic hope of allowing everybody to shoot one another without encumbrance. This is true. So, what, what, what about you, John? Well, I thought that the opening ceremony was a a disaster for featuring the NHS because it's not perfect, and I thought it was racist. Well, 
there were too many black people, obviously. That's that's my num- my number one issue with it was that there were some times when I looked at the screen, I didn't only see white faces, which is very unrepresentative of London. But it very much upset me because I've, I've been to London and I've never seen any of these black people. No, exactly. Um, yeah, it's disgraceful. So, I mean, people have read your blog now and they've seen about. Do you give a pricey of? How did you encounter this Daily Mail article and, and just discuss it a little bit? Well, if it was only, it's just the usual thing. Saturday night, uh, Stuart Campbell linked me to a Daily Mail story without comment, and I read it. And I only read down as far as the bit where he said something about... Um, oh, sorry, the piece was saying how it shouldn't have featured the NHS because recently uh, so doctors and nurses let a man die by not giving him a glass of water, and therefore the NHS is evil, and, and we, we shouldn't be celebrating it. So there was no, absolutely no depth of logic to the yeah. argument it was just and, and, and I like you but then he, I, he, he went I like you about, oh, I'll um, ju- I'll just before we go into what we talk after about. the NHS sequence there was a section where we watched uh, c- c- athletes from banana republics and far away places we don't care about mm. marching around that's and that's as far as I'd read at first and I just I thought that was the bit that Stu was linking me to because this sudden moment of bizarre disgust at the idea of foreign countries being allowed to be represented at the Olympics then I kept then I kept reading yeah, um, sorry. But, as we we're having the same issue with uh, yeah. Skype cutting each other off, so uh, I'm not, it's not quite easy to tell when like, when you're talking. To yeah, me. I mean, I'm talking now, but there's one little thing I want to say because I will allow you to continue to mm. go on because it's easier because of Skype. But yeah. it, it, I read that bit of the article as well, the bit about the NHS, uh, because uh, somebody had been callously treated. Therefore, the institution, qua institution, should not be celebrated. And I pointed out that the same thing could have been said about our military services. And yet, of course, the Daily Mail would never publish that. And the, for it, and the argument would go, the military services should not have been lionised as institutions because there have been several stories over the last year of soldiers behaving disgracefully. Now, of course, that's ludicrous. But, of course, as well the Daily Mail would never make that argument because it's ludicrous. Um, so the illogicality of not representing the best of an institution uh, and celebrating the best of an institution because it has aspects of it that are imperfect uh, was all that was needed. And if the article had only said that, it would have been stupid and dumbheaded and bad enough. But as you're going to detail, it said a lot worse. Well, yes, and so I should stress that it's written by a guy called Rick Dewsbury. He does appear to be. Lots of people are suggesting that he's just a, a fake name given to when the Mail wants to write something controversial. But he does appear to, while he doesn't have much of an online presence, he does write for The Sun as well. So hmm. it would suggest that he's a real human. Hmm. Um, he's uh, he And he's writing under Nigel Dempster's... No, sorry, not Nigel Dempster, the other one. Um, Heffer, Simon Heffer. Simon Heffer's. Uh, section which is called right minds which i assume is a multiple pun um for right wing thinking uh so it's an editorial piece however presented as a news piece which is quite bizarre but what's quite bizarre about it the layout is it doesn't say mm. doesn't say such and such voices his thoughts on this matter it's written with a headline and as if a news story before it starts to go completely batshit um he says so yeah so he talks about this but then he reaches a point where he 
says, um, I may as well just read the section. He says, this was supposed to be a representation of modern life in England, but it is likely to be a challenge for the organisers to find an educated white middle-aged mother and black father living together with a happy family in such a setup." Hmm. Um, so he saw, yes, yeah, so in context, he's, uh, the section of the opening ceremony was when there was a big house and we were being told the story of a, a mixed race mother and father and they go on to have a daughter and the daughter then goes on to tr- have a um, social networking based relationship with a black kid. Yes. So that was the, I think that was the overall arc of the story um, for an event taking place in East London. It seemed enormously representative to me, but uh, clearly not to this individual. So he wrote this extraordinary statement of saying that he didn't believe the organisers would be able to find an educated white middle-aged mother and black father living together with a happy family in such a setup. Um, and so I read that, and of course then I was just overwhelmed. And so I thought, as I often do, when I read something that particularly offends me, I think, well, I need to just express my offence out loud, and so I tend to do that just by posting on my blog. Mm. Uh, so I just wrote out my thoughts and feelings about this. Um, he continues, almost if every not if not every shot in the next sequence included an ethnic minority performer. Yeah. The BBC presenter Hazel Irving gushed about the importance of grime music. He adds in parentheses, a form of awful electronic music popular among black youths yeah. to East London. This multicultural equality agenda was so staged it was agenda. painful to watch. Yes, it was staged. It's called a ceremony. <laughs> yes. Um, it was... Uh, so okay so i mean this the, what's what really shocked me and surprised me about this was that it was uninhibited racism it wasn't mm. the daily mail's usual kind of undercurrent of suggesting all may you know all crime is black people and so on that they would normally just sort of try to weasel in there there was, was no dog really whistle out here. loud blatant racism stated as fact it wasn't a dog whistle exactly Mm. And and that really surprised me. Um, and and so I wanted to talk about there's a there's a real um, thing with the Daily Mail now. Obviously, the Daily Mail very much does with people like Jan Moy, and she did Jan Moy's done it today. She's put a thing saying that uh, Sharon, uh, what's her face, the swimmer, looks like a trap or something, and and it's designed to offend people and to get lots of people going. How dare Jan Moy say this and link to and link to the website? And of course, it's, it's link bait. It's trolling, and that's why and, Ju- and Judge Judge Coxcomb was angry with you for putting this up initially. Well, exactly, and and that's something I tried to address when I wrote about this. Was yes, I understand that the Daily Mail link baits, and I understand that they win when you then link to it. But at a certain point, when you see something that's evil, you can't ignore it. You can't say, "Oh, I'm not going to link to this. I'm not going to talk about this because it's just what they want." No, at a certain point, you have to say, "No, actually, this is evil, and I'm going to I'm going to do something about it." And, yeah. and weirdly, I, I actually did, which is kind of strange. Mm. I well, just yes. figured I just I just wrote an angry rant as I often do, but for some reason I think it just caught the, the zeitgeist to the right moment, and and by Saturday and by Sunday morning people started tweeting it, and by Sunday afternoon, um, I'd gone viral. It did. I'll tell you why I think it caught the the zeitgeist. Um, there has been a lot of interesting press about the Olympics and what it represents over the last few months, rightly so. You know, low cog acting like idiots. Mm. Um, corporate interests and so forth there was also the belief that the opening ceremony might turn out to be quite wretched um, as they sometimes tend to be (laughs) so i think what happened was if you remember romney started dissing the olympic opening ceremony well the olympics uh, per se and the organization of it as we said in the last podcast and you know it's all very well for family to uh, bicker amongst one one another, but when some your some weirdo walks into your house and starts slagging off your sister, 
you, you, you uh, close ranks. And that happened to a degree. And then a lot of people were pleasantly surprised by the opening ceremony who otherwise don't particularly like the Olympics or even the ideal of the Olympics. Um, people like uh, our friend um, Dr. Goldacre, who, they, you know, he, he tweeted things like he said, he said, oh my goodness, is it really going to be that the, the cauldron's just going to be lit by um, a group of people rather than one superstar? Is it just going to be, you know, a, a few young athletes to whom the torch has literally been passed? And he, and he really liked that symbolism. Obviously, uh, he, he enjoyed the NHS. People liked the music. Um, the, uh, I, I think the Pink Floyd at the end was masterfully chosen and so forth. Um, and people also liked the fact that it was unflinchingly multicultural. It, mm. it wasn't trying um, to be... Um, to, 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 to be as bland as it could be, you know. And it was staged. As I, and I, I said in a kind of jokey way in the last podcast, uh, in a kind of predicting this sort of thing, and I said there are going to be lots of pickaninnies in wheelchairs, you know, yes. to, to, to mock the sort of way. And, and indeed, there were, uh, figuratively and re- realistically, but that's not a bad thing. Because, again, we want to represent ourselves at our best. We want to say we have different people from different cultures. We have different people with different disabilities. And we ideally want them to participate fully and perhaps even in an over-represented way because we want to be a generous society in that respect. You know, we want to make... We're kind of... We're not just having a census here. We're having a stage show where we're making a point. So, of course, we're making a point. You know, that's what the opening ceremony is. We're representing the myths that are best of ourselves. And that obviously very much annoys the Daily Mail, not because it's unrealistic, but because that's something the Daily Mail does not want us to represent. You know, that's the point. They want, that's the, a completely different myth track, if you like. I'm sure they were very happy with the sheep and the maypoles and the white faces. <laughs> You know, that they wouldn't have been unhappy about how unrealistic that is. Yes, absolutely. There was no there was no decrying the um, this yeah. apparent moment of, of perfection that we lived in just before the Industrial Revolution. Yeah. So you were retweeted. Yes, quite a lot. Um, it's kind of exciting. Uh, the, the, the story's had over 200,000 uniques now. And, and the crazy thing is, since I last checked, another 15,000. So it's still going on, which is just weird. Mm. Um, my blog has an average daily hit count of around 150 to 200. So, <laughs> The orders of magnitude, uh, yes. Yes, it's kind of I, unusual. I, I think that what was interesting, beyond the initial enormity of the article was there all Orwellian editing of it. Well, yeah, so, of course, I, I posted it, and then I think even maybe before I'd even posted, I was very I was very fortunate that I, I happened to come in. I had some friends over, but I was still feeling uh, heavy with a cold, so I came in to my room and just checked and saw the tweet from Stu, clicked on the link and saw the original version of the article. I think if I had pressed refresh um, as I was writing it, it would have already been edited because there was obviously an, an already an enormous amount of, of, of anger in the comments about what, what, what had been printed. So I wrote the piece quoting what, the even original. The da- and even, even the Daily Mail comments were annoyed. On yeah, the oh, no, they, exactly. They were very much so. It was that oh. someone tweeted me, because I'd, I'd linked to it before I'd written about it on Twitter, and someone replied saying, um, 
but this, it seems to be like uh, backward day. The, the piece is, is, is horrendous, but the comments are really, you know, really amazing comments on, on, on the mail. So I, um, so what happened was I still, because someone, had, someone then tweeted me saying, oh my goodness, it's been edited. And I had the original still open, so I was able to take screenshots of it all. So I had a hard copy of, you know, a soft copy, but of a copy of the original article before their little um, their tweaks and changes started appearing. Hmm. Um, so I was able to add that back to the original post. And of course, I think that's probably why it caught on and why people liked the, liked the story was because it wasn't just, oh my goodness, Daily Mail's being racist, because, you know, that's hmm. not that big of a deal in terms of the Daily Mail. Um, but it was because of the fact that I'd caught them in the act of trying to cover up what they'd printed or published. Well, it was more than covering up. It was trying to do an about turn in a, well, yes. in a way where an incompetent about turn, which then immediately shot them back on the same, <laughs> on the same uh, road. Well, it's extraordinary. So the bit that read originally read, this was supposed to be a representation of modern life in England, but is likely to be a challenge, etc. You know, they'll never find out. Happy. Yucky, yucky, yucky. Became, yeah. This was supposed to be a representation of modern life in England, but such setups are simply not the, quote, norm in any part of the country. So why was it portrayed like this and given such prominence? If it was intended to be something that we can celebrate, that two people with different colour skin and different cultural heritages can live, in harmon- ha- can live harmoniously together, then it deserves praise. Which, of course, it didn't deserve praise uh, in the original article. And then, but what I love is it then swerves back into saying it very much didn't deserve praise which i loved which well was... yes they only edited out the the really key the, the yeah the key passages. racism but it left in or they they did all they also did tweak the reference to aiden burley's tweet where he began by saying um you know well, let me find i've got it all here um he said uh excuse me sorry um, well let me remind you while he you're endorsed doing that. The, he endorsed the tweet and where, where yeah. aiden burley called it lefty multicultural crap and, yeah. and that it yet predicted, predictably it has been castigated by the Twitter's Guardianista Brigade. Yes. Um, um, what's interesting, this is the same Aidan Burley who attended the, um, the stag do in France where, uh, with all his mates dressed up as Nazis. <laughs> Remember? Yes. Pretended that, pretended that he'd only been an observer and then it was later found out that he'd actually ordered the costumes. And yet he's still an MP. Mm, he's a proud Tory MP. Yeah. So it's been, it's been, yesterday was an extraordinary experience for me. I was away at my parents all day. So in, in, I think in a good sense, I was watching it happen rather than mm. just sitting here having my head swell or something. Mm. Um, but uh, the, the, the feedback has been extraordinary. I've just been overwhelmed by people on Twitter contacting me just to say that they appreciated it. And it's a really, it's what's been really good about it has been in the face of something that I found really genuinely upsettingly unpleasant. There's been mm. an absolutely amazing outpouring of just positivity has come out of it, which has been really nice. But of course, there have also been some fantastically stupid comments left on my blog. And I think we yeah. should revel and celebrate those from both sides, actually in a weird way, because I made some comments. I made the point about, I said in a bizarro world, the guardian would have put a thing about saying how we shouldn't have celebrated the armed services, blah, blah, blah. And everybody says, how can you say that about the guardian? They would never do that. You're, you're a nasty racist. I said, no, I was making a, a, a little 
pondering a little joke there. I wasn't actually saying it. And then, of course, somebody else said, you mustn't diss the guard. You know, it started turning into that sort of nonsense. And then, um, OK, so they can be a little bit anti-Semitic sometimes, but otherwise they're wonderful. And, you know, is that so it started degenerating to that sort of rubbish. But we'll deal with that at another time. No, I think the, I actually I've promised that we'll talk about the Guardian in the next episode. No, they, no, it will be the so next episode. by talking about that. No, yeah, no. Wanna, one, one particular comment really stood out to me. Yeah. Um, someone called Andy Rake wrote, actually, I agree with the male. I'm not racist by any means, but the opening ceremony made white people look like the minority. It started early on too. The opening sequence had a black boy and a white boy fishing, then went to Middle England cricket 200 years ago and had a black man bowling. Then, yeah. went, then when it went to, into the stadium, they had a black engineer standing by the side of Brunel. I'm sorry, but black people were slaves then and not engineers. As the ceremony rolled on, it was nothing but Asian and black people, Asians and black kids on the hospital beds. A mum, a white mum married to a black man, close-ups of Asian people. It was way over the top. And then he continues, as a white person... Of course, they weren't slaves then. I just need to... English born and bred. I found myself to be an ethnic minority in my own country. The whole multicultural faff only applies to London. The minute you get outside faff. in the Cotswolds, Devon, Cornwall, up north in the Lake District, in fact, pretty much 99% of Britain outside of London, you barely see a black person unless it's in war-torn places like Bradford. Makes me sick. Was typical, look at us, we all get on crap, and promoted more by the BBC, which loves nothing more than hiring ethnic minorities to read the news. As I say, I'm not racist, but there comes a point when it's promoted worldwide. Do you, but, I mean, um, yeah, that's laughable. But actually, what's interesting is he's not railing against the fact that it's an inaccurate portrayal, there, even though he pretends to be. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yes, to a large degree, it is an inaccurate portrayal. There were many more ethnic minority people represented certainly 200 years ago or 300 years ago or whatever, then there would have been. Uh, there wouldn't have really been black people in, in an England uh, cricket team 300 no. years ago. Fine. But as I said, we're talking about myth and mythos here. We're talking... We're, we, now, what's interesting is he says, huh, you, what were uh, the exact quote? I can't remember, but something, hey, you just want to show us all getting along. As if that's such an unpleasant and nasty thing to represent in an Olympic opening ceremonies. You know, lots of different people from different ancestral backgrounds all participating and getting along. How awful and disgusting and tragic. Um, And again, maybe he would prefer the sort of mythos that Adolf tried to represent at his Olympics, where, you know, there was only one culture that mattered. And it would be triumphant, the end. Because those, there, there are two streams of, of mythology. Neither is true, but it's which, which you, which you, to, to which you aspire is, is telling. And I think we know which uh, side this person, of course, who isn't racist, would aspire. That's right. And I replied uh, to him saying, hi, Andy, I'm sorry to tell you that you are racist. It will probably mm. help process things if you accept this. Hmm. Well, I agree. I mean, he clearly is a racist because um, that's what he cares about and that's what upset him. It upset him to see too many of one sort of people rather than another sort of person. Now, you can look at them and you can think, oh, well, there are clearly many more of X than there would normally be if these were just pulled out of, you know, if, they, if people were just hoovered up from Britain uh, randomly. 
but to be bothered about it and to be upset about it, that's when you become a racist. Absolutely. I mean, I've had some... It's what's very interesting about the racist remarks on the blog, and I've not I've not censored or edited anything. Good. I think norm. I don't know if so, if I was just posting about you know my normal nonsense on the blog, mm. and someone started posting racist madness, I'd probably just delete it. Mm. Um, but I think it's obviously been made a lot more sense to absolutely leave it all up here. I mean, there's yeah. another one here. Lol. What a liberal lovey outrage fest this is. All competing to outdo each other in your expression of, quote, tolerance. <laughs> Except, of course, when you threaten to assault Daily Mail readers, which unfortunately Sombon did say that near the start, mm. and call for opinions you, you don't like to be silenced. By the way, to the commenter who wrote, about, who wrote how the Daily Mail only wanted to report on black rapists, they wouldn't have far to look. Blacks are 12% of London's population, committing 54% of street crimes. I'm sure they're similarly overrepresented in rape stats. Truth hurts, don't it? Mm. And so, what, but what I find interesting about this, and obviously these people are just wretched beyond words, but is that you have to out yourself as a racist in order to be able to have a, to argue this. And so there's this weird process of net, this, okay, Mr. I'm not a racist, but it's slightly different. But this is people just willingly just, okay, I'm a racist and therefore I think this. Mm. It's a very interesting uh, debate. It kind of like makes it much easier to just to, to mis- dismiss the idiots, really. Well, yes, uh, and I think that again, whatever you're talking about and whatever stats you're talking about, and we know that there's a huge problem with uh, black crime in London, for example, because you know black leaders themselves are obviously or very frequently talking about it and why it is, and you know. Um, black father absentee fathers and so on the black community itself is discussing this but we're not talking about that we're talking about representing the best of who we are and who we want to be and that these people think that that's not a good vision is what's interesting to Mm. me Um, it's they would they would uh prefer that there weren't any successful multiracial couples with multiracial children you know it horrifies them that there are any, let alone the huge number who um, represented themselves in response to David Aranovich's little uh, Twitter feed yesterday, which was great fun to watch, I think. Sort of yeah, people absolutely. saying, you know, I, I'm married to my black husband who has a PhD and we have three very well-adjusted children. I, I guess we don't exist. I've, I, know, I, was, I was having lots of people tweeting similar stuff to me. I decided not to retweet it because I, I think some of it felt a bit personal. Yeah. I didn't really want to make it become a thing. That's why I yeah. like that the, the Aronovich was doing it. Actually really asked brilliant. for it, yes. But yeah. I also suddenly realised just how many mixed-race couples I well, know. Well, <laughs> I well, like, oh, yeah. Oh, and them as well. Oh, yeah, he's Chinese, isn't he? Oh, well, ditto, yes. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is really, really much, much more normal than you can... Uh, I think people have even stopped to realise. Well, I mean... Victoria and I are a mixed race couple, bizarrely. I mean, we're so mixed race that, as I said, 70 years ago, Judith would have been killed for being a Michelin. This is true. I'm half Welsh, for goodness sake. Well, yes, but the Welsh really are wretched and should be exterminated. (laughs) My dad's great. (laughs) So Um, there we are. Yeah. So I think I would like to, I really would like to move on to talk about The Guardian because I've made a comment. No, I quote myself accurately. Hang on. mm -mm, Sorry, what were you going to say? I, I, I'm not really prepared to at the moment. We can discuss it in the next proper episode because this yeah. is more focused on it. But yeah, we will. Um, all I would say is that The Guardian isn't what it once was and what some people still think it is because they're not paying enough attention. And this is very sad. It's not something I'm happy about. Um, I wish it 
were what it once was, but it isn't. And there's so much to discuss in this regard that I'm kind of running out of my voice to do it. So okay. I think maybe we should do better discuss this when we're in person, hopefully later on this week, maybe or early next week, we can meet in person and actually mm. do a proper rumblings without this wretched Skype. Sounds a good idea. So, yeah, and I think what we'll do is try to pull up a few examples of the stories that are problematic. And I say it's not unique to The Guardian. I mean, no. just look at anything that written by Robert Fisk for The Independent and you yes. can see similar issues. Yes, indeed. And there is, and uh, we've discussed this, discussed this many times, but we'll focus on it more intently. Yeah. Right, well, there we are. So it's been fun. I was famous for a day, Nick. You were, and you were retweeted by Armando Iannucci and Edwina Curry and all these people. I think the one I was most genuinely really thrilled by was uh, Danny Baker. Oh, yes, I liked his tweet as well. What did he say? Um, I was... The the geniuses at the NHS saved my life if Mm. only um, they could deal with the cancer of the Daily Mail or something like that. Exactly. And it was just just really fun to then, because I was obviously looking at the Twitter feeds and seeing this, and and then seeing him have a conversation with Emma Kennedy and... um, Sue Perkins <laughs> about the subject and it's like oh this is brilliant I'm, I'm, I've, I've caused a conversation between you know people mm. I really admire it's great yes and indeed um, the dead, then the David Aronovich thing was lovely where you got lots of people to tweet themselves as I mm. said uh, and it was nice reading all of those as well and all the, all the weird and wonderful combinations which was fun too I've, you know, you've been married for 30 years and I'm half Abyssinian half Peruvian married to a ne- Nepalese Swede <laughs> and of course Louise Mentry tweeted me so um, oh, I'm not sure if I agree with anything I said <laughs> yes and Mitch and Mitch Ben Mitch Ben uh, who apparently has completely forgotten how much he hates me <laughs> yes <laughs> we, we tweeted it which was nice yes oh uh, well it was only what two years ago that he, he and his wife were uh, sending me abusive tweets because I <laughs> yes. said something mean about him <laughs> yes and then read it a Now Show thing about how he'd been accused of plagiarism by you. That's right, he sang a song about me on the Now Show, which I thought was a, you know, <laughs> pretty, pretty special. The Now and Show! And, and he retweeted me, so... Yeah. Okay, well, that's been interesting. Off to work with you. Okay, sir. Thank you very much, sir. I've been enjoying the beach volleyball. I haven't really watched any, but my friend Greg's there now, like, tweeting from it and seems to be having a good time. Yeah, as I said on... Judge Coxcomb's tweet. Um, it proves that every sport can be massively improved by having a live DJ. <laughs> oh my goodness! I was watching. Um, some, there was something else with this ridiculous screaming, shouting DJ all the way through it. <laughs> oh crap! I can't remember what sport. What sport could it be? Um, darts. It was one of the other contemporary ones, and this person was just yelling and screaming and and getting people to cheer, and it was it was horrible. It was like a pantomime. Ooh, good heavens! A little lady about the size of a goldfish is lifting some weights about the size of London above her head now. Did you see that the four foot eleven guy win the gold medal in the weightlifting? Yes, I enjoyed. Oh, you linked me. Much. You linked me. Yes, I, I sent it to you. I, 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 they, you know, that, I, I do like seeing people push their puny human frailties to the very boundaries of possibility. It's always fun to watch. Oh, and you know what sport I've discovered is great to watch? It's handball. Really? Genuinely entertaining. I, I, I don't know what the hell it is. I live stream now, so I think I will, while I'm meant to be working, I shall go and watch some handball. Um, ambient, ambient Olympics. It's exactly. The way to do it. Okay, see you soon. Bye-bye. You, bye. You, you, you bloody political correct, gone mad, black person lover, you. Giant air quotes, tolerance. <laughs> tolerance. Tosserance, more like. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye.